Shalom, and welcome to what is the final installment of Israel Policy Pod for 2019 and the final installment of Israel Policy Pod for the decade. I'm Evan Gottesman. And I'm Eli Koaz in Tel Aviv. Evan, if we waited a few hours, we could have done this podcast in different decades. We could have, but we didn't. I will note, though, that while it's still 2019 for the bulk of our listeners here in the United States, all over North America, it is already 2020 in Nauru, the island nation that presented itself as a key Israeli ally when it recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital earlier this year, one of the hallmark events of Israeli foreign policy probably in the past decade. So for all those Nauruans celebrating 2020, big shout out. But for us here listening in the United States and also in Israel, it's still 2019. So we're going to use those remaining precious hours of 2019 and of the 2010s to lay out five things to watch regarding Israel, Israeli politics, the topics of annexation and the two-state solution in the coming year, 2020. So let's start them off. The first one is, of course, the Israeli election set for March 2nd, which is the third Israeli Knesset election in the span of 12 months. That's right. Again, can't believe we're at this point, and let's hope this is the only election of 2020, though I'm not sure <laughs> it will be. But a lot of things to, to watch out for. The first and the big one is obviously the fate of Benjamin Netanyahu, which is tied to these elections both his fate in terms of his political future and his legal future. He'll have to get 61 seats in his block of ultra-Orthodox and right-wing parties. It looks very unlikely, and from every indication, what we've seen is we're heading towards similar results to previous elections. But what could really turn the tide in this election are actually the fate of the smaller parties, uh, we have a lot of parties that are near just over the threshold, and we have a lot of mergers that are kind of in the making or mergers that are that have been made that are splitting up. So a lot to watch for. Right. You're not going to see change at the top. Kachol Lavan and Likud are still going to be the two largest parties. But as you touched upon, Eli, there are parties that are breaking up. For example, the Jewish Home and Takuma or the National Union, two parties on the far right that have run together in previous elections as of now are not running together. This is, again, the Jewish home led by Rafi Peretz and Takuma led by Transportation Minister Bezalel Smotrich. And now the Jewish home is running with the even further right, some, uh, you could say, the radical right, Otsma Yehudi. So that could lead to maybe one of those parties or both of those parties not passing the threshold, and that would change the composition and size of the right-wing block. And then on the left, you have the breakup, at least as of now, of the Democratic Union. Stav Shafir is on her own running at the head of the Green Movement. So again, if one of those parties doesn't pass the threshold, that changes the composition and the size of the center-left block to the extent that that term is even accurate or relevant given the talk of unity government. So those are all things to watch on the Israeli election campaign trail as we head to March 2nd. Definitely. Um, and I think the key words that you said were as of now, because I suspect that by the deadline, when parties need to submit their finalists, 
for the Knesset, that a lot of these issues will be resolved. I suspect that in particular, the issue on the right is something where an agreement will be reached. And this is actually very important because what's my Yehudit uh, in last election, they were below the threshold, ended up with roughly 80,000 votes. But in the polls in the days before the election, they were actually over the threshold. So that could give the right-wing bloc a few more seats. I'm not sure if it would get them to 61, but it would get them closer. And on the left, the big question right now is Stav Shafir, whether she will be able to find a party, um, whether it will be part of a bigger unity agreement on the left. There have been talks about merits and labor and Stav Shafir possibly all getting together and Orly Levy going to blue and white. Uh, these are just rumors for the time being. Apparently, Merits have offered Stav Shafir a lower place on their list, and that doesn't it doesn't seem to interest her at the moment. So these are just things to to keep an eye on. I'm sure we'll hear a lot of rumors in the coming days, but whatever happens will prove decisive uh, to the March results. Right, and on the right-wing side of the small parties question, I think Netanyahu is going to be particularly active, possibly in brokering or nudging a merger to happen. He attracted a lot of criticism, justifiably so, for trying to uh, push this merger with Otzma Yehudit in the April 2019 election, the first in this ongoing series of three elections. And uh, it's possible that he could do the same because having a large right-wing bloc is really critical for him as he tries to continue to evade his legal fate, which is the next item for us to talk about, next item to watch in 2020. That is what the outcome of Netanyahu's various corruption cases is going to be. That's right. We'll have to watch how this is obviously directly connected to the March elections. There's a question of whether or not Netanyahu will be even allowed to form a government with the current indictment uh, against him. That's uh, something that will be determined by the attorney general and maybe eventually the Israeli Supreme Court. That's something that's obviously key. And then we have, uh, I mean, this is obviously a slow process, but this will be a year with ongoing Netanyahu legal troubles. Uh, we don't know exactly when the trial will be yet, but the trial will probably begin in the next year. And a lot of things to watch on that front. Right. Netanyahu, as you mentioned, doesn't have a court date set. But I want to focus in on one of the points that you brought up, which is whether he would even have the legal right to form a government. The Israeli high court today dismissed a petition that called for the court to bar any member of Knesset charged with crimes of moral turpitude from forming a government. And that implicitly would mean Netanyahu Given the charges that have been levied against him in these three corruption cases, the court dismissed that petition on the basis that the election results aren't in yet, so it's not yet known who the president of Israel would task with forming a government. But that's not the same as dismissing it on principle. So there is a question of whether or not this issue could come up again after March 2nd if we get similar results and Benjamin Netanyahu is tasked with forming a government. So we'll have to see where all of that stands and it'll start to become more clear 
after March 2nd and also as we await a, a trial date for Benjamin Netanyahu in these three cases. Yeah, that's right. And I think that Netanyahu will put a large focus on this campaign, on his legal issues, actually. He will make this campaign about him versus this legal onslaught against him from Israel's uh, judicial system, people in Israel's judicial system, and the media. And I'm sure that will be like the basis of his campaign. So it will really be come down to a referendum on, on where the Israeli public lies. The majority of Israelis don't think that Netanyahu is, is, is fit to serve prime minister with these indictments. That's what all the polls have showed. But at the same time, his party, he has a loyal base of supporters and his party is poised to be either the biggest or the second biggest party, even when the, with these indictments. And we saw how at least Likud party members, how devoted they still are to their leader. Right. And as Benjamin Netanyahu continues to find himself in uncharted waters as concerns his political fate, his personal fate, whether or not he will go to jail, he's really trying to pull out all the stops. And one of the things that Netanyahu pulled up again and again in 2019, and there's no reason that he should stop in 2020, was this prospect of West Bank annexation. And our third item to watch in 2020 is what comes next in this question of West Bank annexation, and will there be a U.S. blessing on West Bank annexation? Will the Trump administration endorse outright Israeli sovereignty in the occupied territories? Yeah, it's a big question. I think it's uh, Netanyahu has been used this on and off for the past year as a way of trying to whether it's garner right-wing votes, try to force Benny Gantz into a coalition. And so I, I don't think it's likely that there's going to be this annexation of the entire West Bank. I think that's something that won't happen immediately. But we've seen, obviously, a lot of talk about the Jordan Valley, and that's been a key talking point of Netanyahu for the past few months. And I think we'll hear more and more about that. And I think that's something that I don't think it's out of the question uh, in terms of U.S. supporting such a move. And that's what I have my eye on. But again, I don't see this something as, this is not something that's going to happen during an election campaign. It's something that would happen with the forming of a government as part of, it could be something that comes up in coalition negotiations, of course, but it's not imminent, at least from from what I'm seeing. So it would seem that the real thing to watch here is more what the United States does than what action Israel takes because Israel isn't going to make any kind of decisive move when there's just a caretaker government, when we're between election cycles. And even though we have all leveraged our hopes that there is just one Israeli election in 2020, that's far from certain. What is certain is that there is precedent for the Trump administration to give some kind of gift to the Israeli right, like recognition of Israeli sovereignty in all or part of the West Bank or sovereignty over West Bank settlements. After Netanyahu won the Likud party leadership in his recent contest with Gidon Saar, uh, who, by the way, is very much 
a dyed-in-the-wool right-winger on the annexation issue himself, Netanyahu said that he's going to seek and get U.S. recognition of Israeli sovereignty over West Bank and Jordan Valley settlements. Now, around the same time, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was on a CSN radio, a, a religious Christian radio station. And in this interview, Pompeo said that the world needs to recognize the fundamental rights of the Israeli people to, quote, have this land, implicitly meaning the greater land of Israel and uh, the, the West Bank. And so the signals from the Trump administration have long been favorable toward Israeli annexation of the West Bank. I mean, there was the reversal of the U.S. position that West Bank settlements were contrary to international law. And Pompeo also recently rejected a letter from 106 members of Congress criticizing the Trump administration's position on settlements. He really doubled down on their position. Pompeo wrote back to these members of Congress that the Trump administration approaches the Israeli-Palestinian conflict pragmatically and diplomatically, but we eschew the erroneous positions of international law. Uh, again, really doubling down on that position. And they say that their recent determination that the establishment of Israeli civilian settlements in the West Bank is not per se illegal is an important step in the peace process. So if the United States in 2020 were to recognize Israeli sovereignty in all or part of the West Bank, it would be the logical conclusion of their policy to date. Yeah, so I think it's still up in the air whether we'll see any annex real annexation happen or not. But I think it's, it's likely uh, that there could be a U.S. Trump administration announcement. We saw that before the previous two elections, there have been U.S. announcements regarding the Golan Heights. And I believe in the last election, there was an announcement regarding West Bank settlements right at the time of elections, seemingly helping Benjamin Netanyahu. So we'll see if that happens before the March election. Right. And any kind of movement on annexation, whether it comes from Benjamin Netanyahu in the context of his political campaigns, or if we actually do see some kind of policy shift from the Israeli government, although we've detailed why that might not happen, or if it's a change in the position that the United States takes on West Bank annexation, all of that is sure to draw attention from other actors in the international arena. And our fourth item to watch is the international reaction to Israeli and American policy on West Bank annexation. Yeah, and we saw that announcement last week from the International Criminal Court, that they will be moving forward with their probe of Israel. And there were re reports across Israeli media about Netanyahu actually freezing this talk and this plan of Jordan Valley annexation because of the ICC probe. I don't know whether this is completely true, but I think that Netanyahu is definitely going to, maybe he won't be as gung-ho on Jordan Valley annexation as he was uh, before this ICC announcement. Right. And it's interesting because here we see the contrast between Netanyahu, the political campaigner who's willing to throw everything on the table and take the most extreme positions if it's what will bring him over the curve and allow him to form another government and continue to evade the Israeli justice system. And then Netanyahu, the cautious conservative who may 
tacitly support annexation but doesn't want to take any big strides that would attract negative international attention. Now, whether canceling this interministerial panel that was supposed to execute the Jordan Valley annexation plan is going to deter the ICC or any other uh, entity that wants to take punitive action against Israel over annexation or over anything else, that's another question. But this certainly brought the issue of international reaction to annexation to the fore, and it's something to watch as we enter 2020. But bringing it home for 2020, we've talked a lot about the Israeli election and uh, the possibility of more Israeli elections in 2020. But these aren't the only elections that will be happening in the next year. We also have a big campaign going on right now here in the United States. We have the November 2020 U.S. presidential election. And where Israel, the two-state solution, and annexation fall in that is also a big question. So our fifth and final item to watch in 2020 is the U.S. presidential election and how Israel plays a role in that. Yeah, definitely. And I think the, I mean, the big thing here, at least the first part of the year, will be this debate about conditioning aid to Israel. Uh, we'll see from candidates in the Democratic primary, Sanders and Warren, who are more in the conditioning aid space, and Biden and Buttigieg, who are kind of a step, how should I say it, a st- uh, they're more uh, in line with traditional Democrats towards aid to Israel. So that's something I think that will be talked about quite a bit. Right. Although Buttigieg has kind of used this Sanders-esque formula of uh, saying that the United States won't pay for West Bank annexation, whatever that means. Yeah, no, he, to be yeah, he has. But I think that you could differentiate him by what he said. Uh, there's a difference between him and Bernie Sanders on on Israel and on this issue as well. So that's what I'd watch in the first part of the year. And then obviously you have to talk about, we talked, uh, when we were talking about annexation before and Netanyahu, and will the U.S. government support it? I think the upcoming elections in November will obviously be a calculation for the Trump administration on whether they want to do something like this. I'm sure they'll do polling on on this issue. And I don't know, we're still waiting for the peace plan, so I'm I'm not sure we'll see that. But I mean, we could see something of this uh, nature, but a lot of speculation, obviously. So whatever the Trump administration does on this, it could be something to secure an electoral boon from their own base on the American religious right, taking a tough stance on supporting West Bank annexation in some form could be attractive to that crowd. And we have to remember that, for example, Mike Pompeo's interview in which he said that the world needs to recognize the Israeli people's right to have this land uh, was an interview that he gave on a uh, religious Christian radio station. So there's definitely signaling in the American policy on this issue toward a certain segment of the voter base. So that's something that the Trump administration could kick into high gear if they deem it to be beneficial for the president's reelection efforts. So there are things to be watching both on the Democratic side 
and on the Republican side. And of course, everything will come to a head in November. And whether it's a second Trump term or a new Democratic administration, all of those things are going to have big implications for the U.S.-Israel relationship, whether it's a doubling down of the current policy or a reversal or shift from what we've seen in the past three years. So that's our five items to watch in 2020. And obviously all this very contingent on what happens in Israel and who is the prime minister at the time. So all of these five points kind of connect and are, are, uh, are related to one another. Absolutely. And these are also the five things to watch as of December 31st, 2019, the issues that we can foresee as being important and, and certainly things like the U.S. presidential election and the Israeli Knesset election, we have set dates for and we kind of know what to be looking for on those topics. But there are things that could develop in the coming 12 months that we can't foresee or predict now. And Israel Policy Forum is going to continue to be providing you resources and content on those things as they develop. So as we close out 2019 and the 2010s, I just want to thank our listeners and our supporters for continuing to keep this work going into the next decade. But before we close out 2019, we have one more item on our agenda, a New Year's surprise, if you will, a special guest at the end of the podcast. I'm here with our Israel Policy Forum Development Director, Samantha Pohl, with a special New Year's message. Hi, everyone. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to Israel Policy Pod this year. If you're so inclined, we'd love it if you'd consider a year-end donation to ensure that in 2020, we can keep bringing you fantastic speakers, guests, um, and commentary from Eli, Margot, Evan, <laughs> and so many other of our analysts. So again, thank you so much for your support. And if you'd like to make a contribution, you can do so at support israelpolicyforum.org forward slash donate. Thank you, Samantha. And again, any support goes a long way in helping us to bring you content like this. So from all of us at Israel Policy Pod, Happy New Year. <laughs>